This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Maybe he'll see a little better Saturdays. Welcome to the show. Chandro Tar, Sandy Clough is on my left. Kind of funny. That's, a, that's like a old radio thing, right? We're, we're painting the scene. I don't know if anyone actually cares if you're sitting on my left or on my right, but just sort of radio habit. Well, but then people again, can see it. Now they can see it. So, I mean, it, you know, it'd be consistent, right? You can go to mileysports.com slash Now, this is a change watch. in direction, too, and I'm terrible on north, south, east, west. Yes. I am sitting to your northeast, I believe. I believe. I could be... It could be southwest. Yeah, you're actually but sitting, you're sitting to my southeast. Of you. But you're sitting east of me, yes. East. I'm sitting east yes. of you without question. Yes. Slightly south. Slightly, Slightly south. Like 80 degrees. Okay. Like, well, that's pretty good for me. Pretty good. I got half of it right. I got not the bad. east part. And, we, you know, fortunately, we're not doing a lot of maneuvering in the, in the studio, so it doesn't really no. matter all that much. But, yeah, Sandy's on my left, and we're we're... We're going through an interesting week right now because the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche, This is these are sort of monumental weeks for these teams in the last few games. The Nuggets, of course, uh, beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Last night, they they beat the Philadelphia 76ers, who were minus Joel Embiid and James Harden. Harden, not as much a surprise, has been dealing with the Achilles, but uh, Embiid ducking Jokic. Obviously, one of the stories around all of sports last night. We will get into it, but uh, even more monumental when you're talking about position shifts because the Nuggets basically solidified a position they had. The Avalanche get a win last night as expected. You know, we, we talked about this. I remember saying, look, you're, you're a better team than Arizona. You're a better team than Anaheim. You need to get all three of these wins. Have to find a way to get it done. Took one of them in six overtime. Out of six. But they got it. So at least five. I think we left it Friday with at least five. At least five. I felt like six. And had they lost in overtime the other day, it, it would still have been, been five, five out of six. But it it really needed to be more like six out of six. And they get it done. They they, they get it uh, done. Blow out the uh, after kind of a slower start, uh, but that you know that's quite all right. They end up blowing the uh, the ducks out of the water five to one as you expect. Uh, Nathan McKinnon doing his thing with another two points. Kale McCarr with another two points. I mean, just uh, the 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 play that those two guys are generating right now is unreal. And as, as we talked about him yesterday, Valeria Nachushkin rounding into form yeah. another goal I, last I night. I think we've seen in the last three games the Valeria Nachushkin we expected to see all year had he been healthy. Uh, as we outlined yesterday, uh, he is hardly alone, but uh, it is without question true that uh, Nishushkin has missed 29 games this year. Yeah. And I think he's finding his game at the right time. He's been elevated uh, to a position on that first line with Rodriguez being concussed. Of course, Rodriguez is back now, but they kept that line together with McKinnon and Ranton and Nishushkin. I, I, lo- I love that line. I love that line. Because the power, I the size it. on those wings. I, I mean, that is that is a power fr- at front line. I mean, those, those are, when Brandon and Nachushkin, two guys who come into the zone with the head of steam, those are big bodies and better skaters than you think for guys their size, and certainly better hands. I mean, that is a really good line to the point where, 
you know, that they hope to have Gabriel Landeskog back at some point. Hopefully they will. We don't know. Did you see Were the I Jared Bednar, I, I suspect I would look at this line, knowing that Landeskog, by the way, has played on the second line and not at a problem. He's, he understands how to handle that. I would look at this if I'm the as and say, this is my, t- as long as these three guys are healthy, this is my yeah. top line. Well, Nachushkin, Branton, and, and McKinnon. We're, we're always reading the tea leaves a little bit um, and or reading between the lines on this. Uh, Bednar said the other day that while Landeskog is practicing with the team, he is not anywhere near full speed, even for a full-fledged practice. That means it's just safe for him to get on the ice with the knee. Right. <laughs> That's all they're saying. But he said, and maybe I'm overreading this, he said, I don't have a timetable. It could be a week. It could be two weeks. He may have thrown out those ideas arbitrarily. Could be, but that is not generally but the way that Jared Bednar functions. usually the way Bednar speaks. He speaks with precision. So... Let's say it's three weeks. That's pretty close to playoff time. Maybe not right on the money, but if we took three weeks from today, we'd be within a few days of the start of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's two and a half weeks. Split the difference between two and three. Two and a half weeks. It is conceivable he could be ready for the playoffs. I, I don't think in any scenario it makes sense to throw him on the top line though he has spent much time in recent years with McKinnon and Rantanen on that top line, I don't think that makes any sense. I would start him either on the second line or the third line, let him ease into it. Certainly there's not any pressure on him to be a major point producer at this point. They seem to be generating offense now from that first line and with McCarr back, you've got, McCarr and Taves and Byram is playing his best Byram hockey of the year. It. Another guy who's missed a bunch Byram's of games a young guy. He's playing the, I think he's playing the best hockey of his career. I, I concur. It's a young that. career, but he, he's and doing it. I thought Looks his great. best hockey previously had come during the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. But I think he's playing even better right now. And I thought it was interesting. I was listening to the Anaheim telecast last night. And they were talking about how easy it is to mistake Byram for a forward because of how aggressively he jumps into the play and leads the play or finishes the play. Mm -hmm. The kinds of goals he scores, even for offensive-minded defensemen, are unusual in that they come from spots that still, even in today's brand of hockey, defensemen aren't supposed to be. So I'm uh, completely bought in on Byram, and I think once Manson comes back, uh, you can put Eric Johnson with Gerard, and I think that will be better for Gerard at least. Jack Johnson got a goal last night. Yeah, right? How about that? First goal of the year. So, uh, again, they dominated a game that they should have dominated after giving up the first goal, admittedly, in the first period, early first period, relatively early first period. uh, They come back with five unanswered goals and win going away. And 
we've talked about this, but now over the last 33 games, the this Avalanche are 24, 6, and 3. That 33-day period covers roughly 74 days. And during that stretch, the Avalanche have 51 points. The Boston Bruins have 51 points, but have lost one more game in regulation, seven as opposed to the six the Avalanche have lost. Edmonton, 48 points. Los Angeles, 47 Carolina, 47. There has been for 10 and a half weeks plus no better team in the National Hockey League than the Colorado Avalanche, including the Boston Bruins, who are on the verge of setting all-time single-season records for wins in a season and points. When you look at the injuries that the Avs have had to manage, and and, and we've talked about this, uh, we'll probably talk about it again, the the fact that Jared Bednar is not being discussed, and I, I get it, uh, Boston's doing what they're doing. So, yeah, is it likely Jim Montgomery is, is the guy? I understand that. Of course. But of course. what Bednar has done has just been remarkable. And, and you look at, and before we get too far away from it, we talked about Nachushkin rounding into form. In March, in the 14 games he's played in March, that's a, that's one less than Nathan McKinnon, who played 15, and two more than Kale McCarr, who's played two, but one fewer than Miko Rantanen. McKinnon's put up 24 points in 15 games. That's superhuman. McCarr's put up 21 and 12. I, I don't even know what you call that. Ranton in his 17 points in 15 games. Nachushkin, rather quietly, 18 in 14, yeah. including six goals. A He's, lot of that has come in the power play, but last night it was not a power play. Yep, goal. Three of his goals on the power play in that span. That's the same as Ranton and beginning with four. McCarr, oddly, no power play goals this month, but nine power play assists. The Avs power play looking lethal again. And uh, the, the scoring appears to be there. They are getting healthy. The defense with the return uh, of of Josh Manson, I think, is going to look really good. And and when we talk about the injuries to the remaining significant players, I'd say there are four. And I would put their returns, quite frankly, in importance in this order. And I, it might surprise the house fans. So I want to know what you think. The, the Our number here is 303-831-1340. In order of the four players, I think they need to be returned first and foremost. Josh Manson is actually number one. Because I think adding him back into the six main blue liners cements the abs as, I think, at least the way they closed last year, probably the best overall defense in the league when it comes to being able to limit shots, add physicality, counterpunch on the offensive side. I think that putting that blue line together really makes a difference. So I would put Manson's priority number one. On the bright side, he's the guy that's most likely to return first. His return may not be all that far away. Oddly, the second person I'd say that's the most important is Arturi Lekkanen, because I think when you're talking about a guy that can forecheck, best, I think, forechecker on the team, maybe not only the best defensive forward they have, but one could make the argument that with great players like Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, I'm not sure that as, as a man defender, Arturi Lekkanen's not as good as anyone on this team. And he provides a kind of set of skills that the Avalanche don't have duplicated in their forward lines. So I'd put Lekin in there second. Third, I would put Gabriel Landeskog. And even though I think that Pavel Francouz's return is very important, the truth is you're almost at the playoffs, and if that's the case, you're just going to ride Georgiev anyway. So would it be nice to have Pavel Francouz back? Yeah, you bet it would. I'm sure like that margin for error. Jonas Johansson looked actually reasonably solid, wobbly at times, but he gave up one goal. And uh, I thought it looked fine. I thought there wasn't any problem there. It, quite frankly, his last two games, of which he has two wins, 
he's looked pretty good. So I think you're okay in net. You're going to go primarily with with Georgiev anyway. So now, if Georgiev were to get hurt, you're not winning the cup. You're not winning the cup anyway. With right. Francois or, or Johansson. Johansson. So to the, yeah, to that extent, it, it kind of doesn't matter. So, but I think that it is. It, I would say Manson, then Lekkonen, then Landeskog, and then Francois. That might actually be the way it goes health-wise for the Avalanche right now because nobody knows what's going on with Francois. There's, there's not a word. And, and in those cases, no news is not good news. But Landeskog is at least skating. So, you know, at least the knee is healthy enough that he can skate. That's like you pointed out and important to point out. That does not mean he's nearly ready to even practice a hockey game, let alone play a hockey game. But at least they mean the knee is steady and stable enough that he can be out on the ice. Like in his case, that's a broken finger. When it heals, it heals. You're not worried about ramp up time when it's yeah. when it's safe to go play no, with. It's safe to go play with. He can work on his conditioning. Right. Much as he would if he were. And Josh Manson is literally in the just about any time now. Yeah. Time frame. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, end of March was the point at which he was going to be evaluated. And the sense was that he would return sometime within the first two weeks of April prior to the playoffs. Now, I haven't read anything or heard anything to contradict that. I haven't heard anything about a setback, uh, at least. My my order would be slightly different just because I think Landeskog, as your captain, has a certain amount of inspirational value wherever you put him in the lineup. Manson and Lekkonen can be used pretty much immediately reassuming more or less the roles they had. But Landeskog is the captain, and I think as such, the avalanche psychologically would feel much better and healthier okay. if Landeskog were to return to the lineup. But I understand the point you're making. Manson and Lekkonen have obviously played games this year, uh, played games fairly recently, Landeskog hasn't played a single game. He's missed every one of the 73 that they have played. Uh, I would put Franco's last because he's the backup goaltender. Yeah, he's and last. you don't play on consecutive days in the playoffs. Right. You play at most every other day yeah. in the playoffs. You're never playing games back to back. So as long as your starter is healthy, you're going to ride your starter. Uh, I thought it was the right move last night. I believe there are two more back-to-backs coming, but the right move last night was to play Johansson. Uh, He played well, and I think we'll see him two more times this year in the remaining nine games on the schedule, and Georgiev will play in the other seven, including tomorrow night, against Minnesota, <laughs> yes, which he most is certainly the will. regular season game of the year yes. for the Colorado Avalanche, because in my view now, uh, the Avalanche are leading the division in point percentage 644, Minnesota at 642. It's a two-team race for first. Uh, is it conceivable Dallas could get into it? Dallas gets the Blackhawks tonight. They'll probably yes. win that game. Yes, yeah. it's conceivable. Is it likely? I don't believe so. I say that because over that 33-game stretch that we've been talking about, the Avalanche 24-6-3, the Wild 28-5, Dallas has actually lost more hockey games than it's won 
over the last 10 and a half weeks, 16, 9, and 8. The two teams playing the best inside the division, by far, are the Avalanche and the Wild. Mm -hmm. And so they most likely will not meet in the first round. With the tip of the cap, the by the way, to be fair, and not looking at a few of the abs, to the Pacific, in which the top three teams are all on fire. Vegas, LA, and Edmonton are all just absolutely lighting it up right now. That's not the avalanche's concern. But I, I'm with you. This this is clearly the game of the year on Wednesday. And uh, this month, by the way, the Wild 9-1-3, and three, the Avs have already won 10 games this month. First time this year they've won 10 games in a month. 10-4-1. Dallas 8-4-1. So, again, if you're just looking at games this month, it's the Avs and the Wild with Dallas as the third-place team with no home ice advantage. As it stands today, the Avs the are the favorites on Wednesday's game in Vegas. Uh, they are they are the favorites to win that. But it feels very much like that's a home ice advantage number, pure, purely, uh, you know, over... In Vegas, well, they're about a minus one fifty-five to win. Uh, you're going knowing how well these teams have played. That just seems like, hey, look, they're at home. We'll take a ten-game sample. The last ten games: Avs nine and one, Minnesota seven one and two. Not much to choose. Not a Dallas, lot of regulation losses. Dallas again, only five four yeah, and one. Little little wobblier for sure. And the Avs, when you're talking about regulation and uh, overtime wins, lead both of those teams. They have thirty eight. Both the Wild Stars have thirty six. But it is this game against the what Wild. Point that percentage, is I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is the first tiebreaker. It is. And right now, though they're a point behind the Wild, they do have a game in hand, and for that reason. They are two percentage points yeah. ahead of the Wild. In point and that tiebreaker will go away when the season ends because everyone will play the same amount of games. But it is it is an immensely important game. And, of course, the Avs will have a chance to take care of business against Dallas and maybe put them away, essentially, in this run on Saturday if they were to get that done. Obviously, they can't look ahead to that. And it's nice that they will get rest after that game. But tomorrow, that game against Minnesota is definitely the game of the year. It will be a late start, even though it's in Denver. It's an 8 p.m. start because it's the second game of the TNT doubleheader, as well it should be. So also, everyone who was worried you can't watch it, yes, you can. So enjoy. Uh, also, there are plenty of uh, wonderful establishments around our town that you can always go visit. Of course. To uh, enjoy the more communal hockey experience, which is awfully fun when it comes to the playoffs situations. But I guess I look at this one and... I love the way the Avs are playing, but I love the way the Wild are playing. I mean, this is honestly a game where I saw. Let's just drop. Let's drop the puck and see what happens. Crush Seattle, and Seattle's a good team. Seattle, Seattle's not playing great of late, and even over the last three months plus. And Seattle's actually not playing great, but they're outstanding but, on the road. But they've been a good road team this year, and Minnesota just crushed them. It's tough to tell who has the advantage in this. If anybody I has believe the Flurry advantage, was in the net against Grubauer too in that in that game last night. Yeah, and Flurry was excellent, and they've got statistically one of the best, if not the best, goaltenders in the league, who's actually played fewer games than Mark Andre Flurry has played. So, as a one-two yeah, punch, Gustafson. I know mm-hmm. uh, Daryl Sutter said a few weeks ago uh, that he liked uh, Georgiev and Francois. Well, Francois is not healthy. So I, I think by any objective standard, the best one-two goaltending punch in the league 
does belong to the Minnesota Wild. It should be a great game. Tomorrow. Yeah, it should be good. I mean, I can't wait for it. It's going to be a tremendous amount of fun. We'll talk about it. Want to know what you think as well? 303-831-1340 is the call and text line. By the way, uh, we will have Altitude's Todd Romero on today at 3. We'll talk a little bit about that. And we're going to go back there, grab the uh, Avalanche reporter and, and uh, on the broadcaster, Katie Goss from the Avs, is going to join us to break down this game uh, tomorrow in the pregame. She'll step away and help us out with that one, and that'll be good, too. So we're on top of this one for sure. The Avs, uh, the season doesn't come down to this necessarily, but it is by far the biggest game of this season, and yeah, already looking forward to it. For the Denver Nuggets, they got it done last night. At one point, it was really easy, and then it wasn't easy, and that they did get it done even though there was a lot of things going around the game that had little to do with the game. How much does it matter? In the end, is a win a win? What do you take away from it? Uh, we have thoughts. We'll tell you about them next on My Life Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. How do we make... Heads or tails of this Philadelphia game, Sandy. Of course, now, you know, this, this was a huge swing for the Nuggets. You know, we talked about how important these games were going to be after that five-game road trip, come back at Milwaukee and Philly, right? Well, on one hand, we look at it and say, they came back and they swept Milwaukee and Philly. Well, clearly, they're title contenders. They look great. At the same time, Philly sat Embiid. Uh, boy, did Embiid. And we talked about this. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more. But uh, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but they said it was precautionary purposes he was being kept out. If if you cannot tell me that as badly as Joel Embiid has lobbied for the MVP in the last couple seasons, that Doc Rivers would have kept him out against his will. I cannot believe that would have happened, and I think that's the national perception on it, is Embiid ducked Jokic and wanted the game in which they blew him out in Philly to be the statement. But look, hey, Embiid lost Kendrick Perkins last night. Kendrick Perkins, the, the guy who made this this whole oh, MVP Kendrick thing Perkins into a ridiculous thing. was statement. far more critical than almost anybody of Embiid. And inclined to ridicule Embiid. He did ridicule Than him. we were yesterday. And I thought we were pretty straightforward. And Perkins made his point even more uh, strongly. Yeah, let, let me, I, I, we I, we I, need to get him on, by the way. I think huh. he's a smart guy. I don't agree at all with what he said. Uh, but I'd love to get him on to talk about this. What he called in, in, in any case, in any but case. But here's here's the my, quote my, he had. But 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 I, uh, just we talked about this yesterday. Yeah. I just want to clarify, sure. At least from my perspective, and I think you're you're uh, sailing right along with me on this. They had a stretch of three games and four nights. Mm-hmm. Last night's game was the third of those three games for Philly. Yep, right. right. To me, it made no sense to play him both in San Francisco on Friday night and in Phoenix on Saturday night in a game that wasn't especially competitive. First of all, it's a tough overnight trip from San Francisco. And on back-to-back nights. On back-to-back nights. And, uh, you know, they're two 
teams that are pretty good teams, right? At least they're playing well right now. Okay, he gets major minutes in both games, and I'm thinking, why on earth, if you were going to rest him, and I have no problem with resting him as an organizational decision, you rest him on Saturday. everybody does. You rest him on the second night of a back-to-back. That's where more of the injuries are inclined to happen, and they chose not to do that. So it made no sense to me, and I hope I brought this out clearly yesterday, and I think you might have been more clear on it, the game to miss was the game on on Saturday, Saturday night, and then load up for this one, which I understand. We mentioned they've given up on catching Boston, Milwaukee, yeah. in the East. They know I, they're in I understand that they're not going to go all out. They didn't even play Harden. Harden participated in the shootout yesterday. Reportedly, finished the shootout by throwing the ball up against the board, rising up grabbing it with two hands and dunking it. That was his last move. So Achilles seems like it might be, morning. might be okay. So that might have been precautionary. And okay, that's fine. But he's, yeah. but he's not an MVP candidate. He's not a guy who's, I think he's already won it, right? Harden? Yeah, I believe. Yeah. I think okay. so, didn't he? But in any case, in any case. If he didn't, he's, well, it doesn't matter. He was en route to the in, Hall of Fame at his uh, numbers. Well, of course. I just didn't understand from their point of view what they were doing and psychologically to me. 2018 MVP, on, by the way, Harden. Okay. And then it was Giannis the next two years, right. and it's been Joker the yep. last two years. Right. Okay. Uh, it, it made no sense to me because the psychological value of – not necessarily winning the game last night, but being competitive and treating the game like kind of a tune-up for the playoffs. That there was some value in playing him last night. I didn't think there was any value in playing him on the second night of a back-to-back when he was already hurting with the calf injury. Right. Okay, and so none of that made sense. Now, again, uh, there's the organization, there's Doc Rivers, there's the medical staff, there's Embiid. There's the kind of basketball you've played this month. My guess is, it's just a guess, this month of March, Philadelphia is 10 and 5. They have played 10 games on the road, and they're 10 and 5, even with the losses in the last three games. They are, for this month, at 10 and 5, the hottest team in the NBA. So we're talking about the Avalanche needing three wins, right? right? Yep. In four days. Philadelphia could afford three losses in four days, given that their form leading up to the last three games was exceptional. At 10 and 2 for the month, and plus 7 on road win, home loss differential. Extraordinary. It's a great month for them. They've been the lead team in the league. So maybe they're thinking, boy, it's just not worth it. Even if he just aggravates it slightly, it's not worth it. But, again, rest him in the middle game, not in the last one. I, I, weird, weird choice. And I you would think that if, if, if he had wanted to play, he would have. And, 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 I mean, Perkins was, was pointed. 
Perkins, here was his quote. Joel Embiid is ducking that smoke today, and you all know how I feel about Joel Embiid. We know how much it means to him to win this award, and here it is. You gave Jokic a spanking when they were down there in Philly. You have to give him an opportunity to get his lick back. You cannot sit out this game. I have a vote, and I'm going to remember this moment. Uh, if, I don't if think he's this the only one. had been a national broadcast game, and I wrote about this on MyLifeSports.com last night. I, I, I didn't wrote it at the post game. If this had been a national broadcast game, one, I think Joel would be replayed. But if he hadn't, his candidacy for the MVP would have ended last night. Yes. And it might have oh, anyway. I agree. And it might have anyway. And whoever guy, I assume it would have been ESPN. Uh, carrying the game last night would have been outraged. And yeah, if it was on national television wanting that would have been Jokic reflected oh. by ESPN's Kendrick <laughs> Perkins, Stephen A. Smith. Uh, Michael Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, various commentators on the network. They do an NBA daily show uh, with Malika Andrews as the anchor. Mm-hmm. I, I, Perkins is a regular panelist on that show. Uh, all of them would have taken Embiid apart. That was the only saving grace for Embiid was that the game was not nationally telecast, although it was on NBA TV. Right. So people outside of Denver, of course, who have NBA TV, it could have watched it. Congrats, by the way, whoever game. came up with that. I have no idea who came up came up with it. But the uh, the missing person signs that were around the arena that looked like they were in the back of milk cartons. It was Joel Embiid, and it said uh, descriptions: no MVPs, no first team All Stars. Tall, last seen in Denver, twenty nineteen. Ouch. But Embiid's situation notwithstanding, and so I think now the it, it actually simplifies the MVP process for people because guess what? Do you want the best player on the best team in the West or the best player on the best team in the East in Giannis? Oh, it's a two-man race. That's it. Two-man race. So it, it's, it's streamlined that. But here's the thing. The Nuggets ended up having to, after really running away from this in the third period, the third period at times for the Nuggets has been nightmares. This time they came out and it looked like they put the game away. Well, here's the thing. Given the, the probabilities, they really did. But it got as close as five points late, despite the fact that it was a blowout. And it would have been four had uh, Harold made the free throw right late in the game. Now It would have been 112 to 108. Here's the thing. On the broadcast... That there's some disappointment. You know, our friend uh, Scott Hastings had lamented that, uh-oh, this, this, they could really lose this game. Uh, and, of course, they could have. They could have. But here's the thing. If they if don't get at, a good call on Jeff Green on a ball that was going out of bounds mm-hmm. and was eventually ruled to have been off Philadelphia when it was really off Green, they might well the have been in trouble. lowest the game. win probability via ESPN analytics, the lowest win probability – that the Nuggets had had since basically they took off in the third quarter was with 28 seconds left, 28.2 after Harold made his dunk and cut it to three. Denver's win percentage at that time was still 87.4%. But so, it should have been 99.9 by that point. Yeah. It should have been. I and think, instead, it wasn't even 90. And, and it, here's one of the things that I thought was interesting about it. Michael Malone, to his credit, to his credit, uh, was seen walking off, kind of talking to Aaron Gordon as the game came to an end, there seemed to be some confusion on Gordon's part. They were a little confused what about stuff. What happened to Aaron Gordon? Here's he what. didn't play in the well, last 15 and, and, minutes and of the game. here's what happened. Michael Malone explained it. He said he assumed that the, the, the bench was going to handle it, that basically they had it in the bag. They were, he was going to give him some time. By the time Malone basically admitted there might be a real threat here, he thought that 
Gordon had been sitting for too long, was cold, and didn't want to put him in. Jeff Green, who was awful, I, I, I understand he made a couple of free throws late. He played the last 15 minutes and two seconds of the game. Mm -hmm. That's coaching malpractice. And I have more to say on this, but I'll just leave the point alone for now. It's ridiculous to have 87-year-old Uncle Jeff <laughs> playing in the last 15 minutes of a game of, of a without arrest. And he had no 24 one until, else yeah, did no one that. Else. No one else played even came close to playing the last 15 minutes of the game. This is one and of the Aaron concerns. Gordon sat on a bench, and I'm I'm thinking. First of all, it was dumb to sub the way he did the last seven minutes and eight seconds of the game, and we'll get into that in more depth later. But to have benched Gordon, and that's really what happened. You know what ha really happened? He forgot about him. He forgot about him, which is him. essentially he what he admitted that Jeff Green had been in the game for well over a quarter, 15 consecutive minutes. When was the last time Jeff Green for any team, and he's been on a bunch of them, in any game, and he's played a bunch of them, played 15 straight minutes without uh, being subbed It's highly down. unusual that any player ever plays that long anymore. Anybody, 15 straight. I mean, it's, it's unusual. You don't see it very often. And, and yeah, that seems to be... Malone's sort of maybe overconfidence in his bench, I suppose. I, I actually he, look at it the other way. He thought the game was over. I look at it completely the other way. But again, we'll get into that yeah. later. I think he showed no confidence in his bench. Uh, he took Brown out. And again, we'll develop this more later. But just for now, he took Brown out and Najee out for no reason with 7.08 to play. No reason to take either one of them out. He then took Bruce Brown out and put in Jamal Murray, who had been subbed out for Jokic with 7.08 to go. Brown comes out and Murray comes in with 3.40 left. Bruce Brown They're was up outstanding, by, 13 by the way. At that point, they were up with seven minutes, 37 seconds left by 20 points. And less than 30 seconds later, Michael Malone is putting the starters back in in a full-blown panic. Call him the Prince of Panic because that's how he coaches NBA basketball. And on a day in which the Denver Post's lead sports story is signs of life, subheadline, bench showing improvement, entering home stretch of regular season. Jamal Murray quoted at length in the piece, raving about Christian Brown among others, but saying about the bench, our defense is better. It's our defense with that group. This is from Jamal Murray. And Mike Singer in the piece is talking about the galvanizing moment of the season for the bench on Saturday night with 2.07 left in the third quarter, Denver up seven. And... Giannis and Holiday are on the floor against Jamal Murray and Denver's bench at that point. Seven-point lead. And it looks like Milwaukee, by the time they get the starters back, might be even, if not ahead. And instead, Denver goes off on a 17-8 to run. Something else 
that Michael Malone, in the space of 48 hours, seemed to forget completely. Maybe he read Mike Singer today in a post and read the quotes from Jamal Murray. He said, oh, wait a minute. My bench performed well in a close game, but I couldn't trust him with a 20-point lead and a little more than seven and a half minutes to go in a game. Some odd decision-making, to be sure. And for, for the Nuggets... That's why it's difficult to kind of parse this. Uh, look, they got the win. They cemented their spot. While it's not official, it makes it almost impossible for Memphis, who is behind the Nuggets and does not have the tiebreaker, to pass them. And at one point, sort of all systems go. So that part of it is good. The, I mean, I guess the end result, you get a win. Uh, I mean, Aaron Gordon's minutes got knocked down. None of the other starters did. He played half the game. Played 24 minutes. And Jeff, Jeff, Green. Jeff Green played the other half of the game. What? There are there are some things with, with Gordon's game that I think is interesting, too. Obviously, now he needed to be on the floor more. And he got better as the game goes along. But there are a couple things about this game. One with, with Aaron Gordon that I'm going to share that you ought to get used to seeing because you're going to see it more and more as the, the when the playoffs come around. And the second is maybe... Maybe we're looking at this loss the wrong way, Sandy. Maybe, even though it was a little nerve-wracking, might be just what the Nuggets needed. I'll explain next. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. So, the Nuggets win in a, in a situation where it did not necessarily feel good at the end because they were cruising. I mean, dunks everywhere. The, the Nuggets turned it into an all-star game for a while. I mean, everybody. I can't even recall how many uh, highlight reel dunks there were. You know, Christian Brown had the had the big one near the end of the game where he was unguarded on the baseline, came up, grabbed it with the right hand, got way up and, and dunked it with in a lot of enthusiasm. But I'm not even sure it was the best one. But Bruce Brown threw one down earlier in the year, the, the game that was was phenomenal. Uh, Jeff Green did at one point. Aaron Gordon had his moments. There were guys. Aaron Gordon threw an alley-oop to Jamal Murray. I mean, it, it looked like it was ridiculous. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> They let it back in, and and a lot of that, I agree with you, has to do with coaching, because I do think Michael Malone, as we've talked about this, actually, quite frankly, you and I, Sandy, here and other places for literally years, even though I think Michael Malone's done a heck of a job on the whole, when you're trying to become a title contender, your flaws get magnified. And in-game substitution patterns for Michael Malone are, I think, his most significant flaw. It almost cost them last night. And the Nuggets... I think they, they said it rather well on the broadcast. I believe uh, somebody mentioned nonchalance. I think that was a pretty good way of putting it. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe, again, but maybe you find a way. and fatigue because, again, you look at the box score at the end of the Jamal game. Jamal Murray leading the 10 Murray minutes. 36, Jokic 35. And he's dealing with a sore, too you know, many, thumb as well. Right. Too many you have to bring minutes, him back in. especially for Murray. Especially for Murray, whom they had subbed out. As I said, was seven oh eight to go, but with three forty left, they're still up thirteen. They put them back in for Brown, right. which made no sense to me. And you know, it, all the starters made mistakes. 
uh, all five of them coming down the stretch, whether it was missed free throws, whether it was the poor defense, whether it was turnovers. And again, nonchalance, okay, that's part of it. But I think a major part of it, again, is fatigue. And I also think when you're leading by 20 and you're not in the game and you're a starter, you're not expecting to be put back in. The game's well in hand. Now, I understand if within a minute or two they go on a 10 or 12-point run and you you got to get the starters back. Right. That did not happen. They were up 19 with 457 remaining in the game, and he's treating it like it's a two- or three-point game with 457 left from the way he is substituting. And it's 110 to 91. Are you kidding me? And they got outscored 20 to 6 down the stretch with, other than Green, their starters in there, and Philadelphia playing second and, yes, third-string guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 20 to 6. So, play devil's advocate here. Of course, the you know the instinct is to go, wow, that's, that's one of the things that's going to eventually catch up with the Denver Nuggets. But maybe this is the... The cold splash of water to the face for both the players and the coach that realized I might need to have to go to the drawing back to the drawing board a little bit. Michael Malone was candid and basically admitted he blew it with Aaron Gordon. Now he didn't take very many questions after that, but that that is not something he is generally likely to do in press conferences. Say that you know what. I should have put Aaron going back in. Well, I'm glad I, we. I had kind of basically, glad we got the explanation. Yeah, he's like I he basically forgot about, forgot about him, got and it. by the time I I realized I might need him, it was probably too. I didn't want to put him in cold. Um, so maybe you're, you get this kind of. It, it it's a, it's a cheaper lesson when it doesn't come from a loss. Now most teams, most players, most coaches, they tend to learn more from the losses. We all do, right? But. You can learn this lesson rather cheaply. You still won the game. You came out healthy. It's all right. But you also got some of your flaws spotlighted. Are you going to do something about them or not? And the only way that change occurs is when it's basically, you know, forced to occur. You know, that's just how humans work. If everything we're doing is working, we tend to keep doing that. And the Nuggets have a point after this game where they can look at it and say, what are we really going to do? Are you going to look at it and say, we won, don't worry about it, we'll just come back and do what we do against New Orleans on Thursday? I mean, maybe that is what they do. But maybe, because Malone did take the question and answered it honestly, maybe that's the sign that, okay, I kind of got lucky on that one. I can't let that happen again. I need to adjust. I need to adapt. And it's not all on Malone. The players need to be better as well, for sure. Uh, you know, Malone's not out there surrendering baskets. That's that's on the players. But we have talked about the biggest Achilles heel. You said it. You've actually said it as such. The Nuggets' biggest Achilles heel is their coach. That's what you said earlier. Yes. You said that and last his week. lack of feel for the game. And it was on display once again last night. Jared Bednar is the complete antithesis of Michael Malone in terms of temperament and the way he manages a game. Bednar never panics, and the last time he did, I think he learned from that, and it may have, may have, cost them a playoff series against Las Vegas 
a couple of years ago. But I think he learned from that. And what he did, as you well remember, was break up the McKinnon, Ranton, Landeskog line when Las Vegas won a couple of games in Las Vegas, even the series, which had been 2 nothing in favor of Colorado and became 2-2, and for the fifth game, he broke up that line. Now, they should have won the fifth game anyway, but they didn't, and I thought he did something that even at that time was uncharacteristic, and that was overcoach slash panic. Now, he has a different way of expressing it. Malone kind of wears his emotions on on his sleeve, Mm -hmm. and he overreacted last night and he overcoached. Now, can they learn uh, from that? Yeah, I guess, but you're up 19 with 4.57 to go. Why are you taking the guys who, if they didn't build that lead, at least for an extended period of time, had helped you sustain it and maybe even slightly extend it, and you're removing all those guys who are fresh, and you're putting in starters who are either tired or don't think they're going back into the game. And, yes, it's better that they won as opposed to blowing the game, and I understand they're 51-24, and and there's no such thing as a bad coaching job being done by a coach of a 51 and 24 team. There there simply is not. But there are other teams right now, yes, even in the West, including possible first-round opponents who have had better months of March than the Nuggets have had. That's just a fact. So finding a way to look at the Nuggets in these these final – Handful of games. And and I'll briefly share the schedule with you. We talked about New Orleans coming up on Thursday. That's a national uh, TNT game. That'll be a late start, 8 p.m. But now you're getting a run of after Milwaukee and Philadelphia of playoff teams. Uh, New Orleans would be in it as of today. Phoenix, of course, is in it. By the way, still in Phoenix, there is a not, I shouldn't say a chance, the expectation right now in Phoenix is that Kevin Durant will be back with the Suns on Friday to play the Nuggets. That's that's at the moment what the expectation is. That's his expected return. Sunday, they'll play Golden State, another team to be in the playoffs. Now, then they get a break from Houston. Then they have to go back to Phoenix again and then finish with Utah and Sacramento. Out of their remaining games, of the seven games, five of them are against Western Conference playoff teams yes. as it stands today. Oh, of course. Now, it is fortunate that they have the cushion they have, and you do wonder at a certain point when you want to rest guys and how much you want to rest guys, because I think it would be important. And I think once the Nuggets lock it up, so keep in mind there's seven games left uh, to play. They are up three and a half games and have the tiebreaker on Memphis. So you are talking about a magic number that's reasonably small. Memphis nine and one in its last 10. And there's well. no one else even remotely. Nuggets would have to lose them all and the Kings right, would have to win them right, all. That's not going to happen. So much. it's the Nuggets and the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies, uh, are, are in a spot in which really, you know, we're, we're very close to having this over. The Nuggets would have to 
go completely in the tank. If you really, I know there aren't many games left. If you really look at the West, Denver's going to finish first and Memphis is going to finish second. Even Sacramento for third has not put away Phoenix yet. Now, I think Phoenix has a nice cushion similar to the Nuggets cushion on the Clippers, on Minnesota, on Golden State, on New Orleans, on Oklahoma City. Phoenix is almost certainly going to finish fourth, but Phoenix has an outside chance to finish third, which means that maybe to the Nuggets' advantage. You'd want Phoenix to finish third. The Nuggets won't have to play Phoenix in the second round. Until they were the Western Conference Final, conceivably. That would be the only way to get the matchup. So uh, we'll see, obviously. This is going to work itself out. But the Nuggets do get the win. Uh, They have a little bit of soul-searching to do after it, but they will get back at it on Thursday against a uh, ascendant Pelicans team that's playing extremely well, despite the fact they don't have Zion Williamson. We will see. There's a lot going on in Denver sports, of course, and a longtime uh, colleague in town. I have an opportunity to talk to Altitude's Todd Romero. Do that next to Miles Boyd.